Hey, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Jessica. I'm glad you're here. Can we welcome everybody who's tuning in online with us in this experience? I don't know if you've been in and out because it's summer or you're just out of routine or whatever, but we have been talking about a series that we titled Upstream, and it's really just talking about how we as Christians are living upstream in a downstream culture. We've been going through the book of First Peter. This is like my favorite way to go through the Bible is just chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And so the first week we went through chapter one, second week chapter two, and we are on chapter four today. So I'm really excited to jump in, but before I jump in, I know that some of you don't know me, and I would love to meet you in the foyer after this experience, but I also think that I need to tell you a little bit about me, that we need to get to know each other a little bit. Like I said, name is Jessica. Um, I identify as a mom of three crazy boys. That's like the first thing out of my mouth because they are crazy. They're 12, 10, and 7, so they keep me on our, they're our, my toes, and we are in the dog days of summer, and I'm so excited for school to start really soon. Anybody else? Yeah, because it's been about like that in my house. Okay, so, um, and then I'm also married to Trey, who's the guy up here that has the really angelic voice, and his hair changes about every other week. I don't know if you know him. His name is Trey, and... Um, so anyway, and then I also get to help out with Inspired. Anybody Inspired ladies in here? Yeah, I get to help out with Inspired, it's awesome. And then one more thing that you might wanna know about me is that I hate surprises. Anybody else? No? Oh, I hate surprises. Like, don't throw me a surprise party because I won't react. And also don't make me open a present in front of you. That's awkward. I mean like the bridal showers and the baby showers where I had to open presents in front of people, I'm like sweating, my armpits are sweating. I just don't like surprises. And I think here's the reason, because my heart has a hard time connecting with my face. Like, I, I'm not very good at portraying everything inside my heart, and it really kinda just comes out sideways on my face, or it can just come out just plain Jane. I mean like I can be really, really happy and my face will look like this. And I can be really, really sad, and my face will also look like this. And I know some of you in here are the same because your face looks like this, at me, right now. Okay, so, but I hate surprises, but I do have one story where um, my heart actually did connect with my face and in a really bad way. Um, my mother, bless her heart, that's what we say in Texas. Um, so about 12 years ago, my husband and I uh, were just getting off work. We had just had a newborn. I think he was like four weeks old. And we were getting off work, and we you know that after work slump where you're like, I'm starving, what are we gonna eat? We don't have any groceries, everybody's cranky. My newborn was like wanting fed and all that. And so I hear Trey in the other room talking on the phone. I'm like, this is a really bad time to be talking on the phone. Anyway, he came in, and we dated for a while, so I got pretty good at learning the inflection of his voice and like, who's he talking to and all that. And I could not tell who he was talking to. And so he came out, and I said, excuse me, who are you talking to? He said, your mom. I was like, is this a joke? He said, no, I was really talking to your mom. About what? He said, I can't tell you. I said, you will tell me. You will tell me, what was it? And he said, uh, it's a surprise. And I was like, oh, you're not gonna wake up tomorrow morning if you don't tell me right now. And he was like, um, she got you a Christmas present. And I was like, it's October. 
And he was like, yeah, I know. She found a Christmas present for you, and she wants to bring it over in five minutes, and it's a cat. I about lost it. My postpartum hormones just came out in a really ugly way, and I said, I can't have a cat. I have a dog and a little human that I can barely keep alive. I cannot take care of a cat. What is she thinking? And he was like, I don't know. She's going to be here in five minutes. And I was like, wiping the tears. And she walks in, and she walks in with the little kitten stuffed inside a Santa stocking. Put that on top of me being mad that I'm about to inherit a cat and everything else. And she walks in, and she kind of sees what's coming out of my face, and she's like, it's okay, I can take it back. I already talked to the people, and they said it's fine if I take it back. And I was like, but it's so cute. Leave now. Like, I can't, I can't do a cat. And so she just handled my postpartum hormones like a champ, and she walked out with that cat, and I never saw it again. I hate surprises. Don't show up with a cat at my door, okay? So, I get this sneaky suspicion that as we're going through the book of 1 Peter, that the author, Peter himself, I don't think he really likes surprises either. You know why? Because his book is pretty detailed. It's pretty detailed on what we can expect, what do we do when this happens or whatever happens. And the reason I think that his book eliminates the element of surprise is because he was an actual eyewitness of Jesus. I mean, we're not going through a book that's written by Paul that never knew Jesus in the flesh. He's got plenty of books and they're awesome and they're wonderful. But Peter, he was an eyewitness to Jesus every day for the last three years of Jesus' life. He's the one that walked step by step with Jesus and watched him perform hundreds of miracles. Peter's also the guy that sat under Jesus' brilliant and perplexing teaching. And Peter was also the person that witnessed the capture of an innocent man and led to a sinner's death. So Peter, I think his words are pretty valid and we can take them at face value because he was an eyewitness of Jesus. I would say that Peter is a realist. Now, before I show you the definition of a realist, do I have any optimists in the room? Like, glass always half full, like, smiling all the time, love surprises, like I told that story and you were like, yes! I know you're out there because my youngest son is like that. And when I was telling him what a realist, he was like, I'm not that. And I was like, okay, well, that's fine. But, and I know all of you optimists are thinking the opposite of an optimist is a pessimist, right? But I wanna argue something. I think the opposite of an optimist is a realist, okay? We're gonna throw up the definition of a realist. A realist is a person who accepts a situation as it is and is prepared to deal with it accordingly. Anybody else out there? This verse gives me, I mean, this, this definition gives me life because I love being prepared. Like, I know some of you out there have all the things in your purse or all the things in your bag or you store it in your car. I mean, like, you have something for everything. And I was a Girl Scout. The motto was be prepared. So I was raised to be prepared. So the last part of that definition, I love. The first part, I'm a little iffy about. I mean, like, a person who accepts the situation as it is, that's a little bit hard for me. And I know it's hard for all of you out there who are control freaks, okay? To accept a situation as it is is, frankly, not that easy. And I think what Peter's trying to tell us in, in his book is that his situation, do you want to know his real life? He was 
up against people around him and himself being threatened to lose his life because of Jesus. For following Jesus, Peter, his life was at stake. And so I think he's a realist because he accepted the situation for what it was and then he wrote the book of First and Second Peter to tell us how to deal with it. And today, in chapter four, we're talking about suffering. Surprise! Thanks, Peter. And thanks whoever gave me this topic. No, we're talking about surprise. And you know what? I'm actually excited to talk about it. You know why? Because every single one of us in this room deal with suffering. Every single one of us in this room deal with pain. I mean, are you human? Turn to the person next to you and pinch them really, really hard. If you got a reaction, they're human. If you didn't, I'm sorry, you're sitting next to a robot. You might be married to one. No, we're all human. And we all live in the same world that's fallen and broken and messed up and marred with sin. So we all encounter pain and suffering at some point. And that's why it's exciting because all of you in here, this is for you today. All of us in here, this is for us today. And I think Peter, more than anything, wanted Christians to know that if you're a Christian, suffering is not an elective, but a required course. In our life as Christians, we are promised trials. If you don't believe me, go read James, go read Romans, go read 2 Corinthians, we're talking about it in 1 Peter. We are promised suffering in this life. If anybody ever told you follow Jesus and life will be easy and sunshine and rainbows, they lied to you. Because Peter really digested this into his being and wanted to tell us that as you are following Christ, you will encounter suffering and is not an elective but a required course. And I would even go so far as to say this. God allows suffering. He allows pain to come through your life. And I would even say that God utilizes your suffering for his glory. What seems so often from the outside looking in and us when we're standing in the middle of pain and suffering is that God exploits our suffering and the Bible tells us he's gonna use it for his glory. Now I don't know about you, but when I was kind of chewing on these statements, I thought, why do I follow God? And if you think that too, you're in good company because one of the main hiccups to people following Christ is that they think, why could a good God, a good and loving God, cause so much pain and suffering in the world and expect us to go through it? Aren't we his children? That's the belief of a lot of people. And if we're honest, I think sometimes we think like that, especially in suffering, that why could God allow us to deal that, with that? But today, here's the exciting news. We read an eyewitness account of someone who witnessed some of the most ludicrous sufferings in history unfold. And he equips us with a perspective that will prepare us to deal with suffering in our life. So we're gonna start in 1 Peter 4. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter 4. And while you're getting there, we're gonna start in verse 11, but I need to recap verse one through, uh, we're gonna start in verse 12. We're gonna re recap verse one through 11 because I think it's really important that whenever we go through the Bible, it's important to read the verses around what we're gonna be talking about. 
So I'm gonna sum it up for you really quick. He starts in 1 Peter 4 with this word, therefore. And if you've been in church for any length of time, maybe like a long time ago or whatever, we always have to ask, when we see the word therefore, what is the word therefore, right? See what it does there? Because the author that's writing this, whatever he's gonna say after that word, hinges on what is said before. So if we look at the heading above that in, in chapter three, it's undeserved suffering. So he, he had already started talking about suffering. And then he starts chapter four with, therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same understanding. I like to say attitude. Peter's saying here that Jesus, the guy that went before us that suffered a nasty death, he suffered in the flesh just like you and I. The pains and the struggles that you and I have, he experienced. And he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, take this away from me. If it's your will, I'll do it. If it's not, please take it away. And Jesus knew that he was to go to the cross and die an undeserved death. And so what Peter's saying is, hey, we need to arm ourselves with the same attitude. Christ suffered in the flesh, and so will we, and so are we right now. And so this is really important. And then he goes on to say, in time ethics, he's like, the end of the world's coming, surprise. See, I told you he was a realist. Because he was like, here's how to deal with it. Pray constantly, love constantly, and serve others. That's what he said. So then we pick up in verse 12, and that's where we're starting. It says, dear friends, isn't that nice? Talking about suffering, dear friends. Don't be surprised when, not if, when, the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. I'm sorry, this sounds like me talking to my kids about folding laundry. They ask, what, we have to fold laundry again? I'm like, why are you surprised? We wear clothes every day, we have to do it every day. And then on verse 13 it says, instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. There's a few things that we need to talk about in this, in these two verses. The first thing is, he says, don't be surprised. I don't know if I've ever met a person that is not surprised when they suffer. Have you? I always feel like I'm that way too. Like, why me? Why is this happening to me? And he's saying, don't be surprised. I think this is really interesting because there's this part of our brain called the neocortex. And this is kind of like a new development in human evolution, like probably the last hundreds of thousands of years. The neocortex is really responsible for higher cognitive thinking. So it's not like the primal instinct that we have. It's like the reasoning and deducing and, and things like that. The neocortex has these tiny little columns in our brain called the cortical columns. So the cortical columns, what they're responsible for within, wrapped within the neocortex is mapping out the world around you through your senses, by what you see, what you hear, what you feel. And so all the while we are going about our business, the cortical columns are mapping out a world for us that we see, feel, hear, and touch. And then when something is kind of wrong in our maps and the way that our brain has perceived things, our cortical columns say, uh, there's a problem, we need to fix this. Okay, let me tell you, let me show you this way. You like my coffee cup? This is a J on it. It means Jesus, not Jessica, okay? Um, coffee cups, 
we, we know what a coffee cup looks like. It has a handle. We know that it's usually porcelain to keep our hands from not burning. We know it's smooth. But if I'm sitting here talking and then I feel this chip on the rim, my cortical columns alert my brain to say, hey, there's something wrong with this coffee cup. We need to fix it. I think this is really crazy because I think that God wired our brains to remap when something is wrong. And I know that suffering feels unnatural. Does it feel unnatural to you? When something happens to you and you're like, wait a minute, I think it's our brain signaling to us there is something wrong. Could it be that God mapped our whole being to know and wired us for wholeness? I mean, in the Garden of Eden, Things were perfect. There was perfect harmony between nature and God and relationships and everything. And then when sin entered the world, it broke it. We got a coffee or we got a chip on our coffee mug. Could it be that God wired everything about us to know that we are designed for wholeness, but we're living in a coffee cup chipped world? And I think this is really crazy because God has given us a person in who the map can be corrected in. And we're gonna be talking about that today. Another thing that we need to point out with, after reading these verses is the context. Whenever we read God's word, we need to put it in the context. We can't just be taking these verses out and applying them wherever we want. We gotta take it in context. And so Peter here was talking about suffering. And here's the kind of suffering he was talking about. Losing your life for Jesus. Now. I need to point out that this, we don't experience this type of suffering on this side of the world. We have freedoms that enable us to live our religion out freely, right? And I'm so thankful for that and we never need to take that for granted. But what he's talking about is, there was a time and a place where suffering happened for Jesus' name and it still happens today. Christianity Today came out with an article last year that said that 5,600 people lost their lives for proclaiming in Jesus. When's the last time you lost a friend who said that they were a Jesus believer? Not in my lifetime. And then 2,100 churches were either attacked or closed for their mission. Could you imagine this church being attacked and burned to the ground just because we do what we do and this is our mission? And then 124,000 people were forcibly ejected from their homes because of their faith. And 15,000 people became refugees because they were kicked out of their country for believing in Jesus. I need us to know that we don't experience this type of suffering. But I do believe that God knows our hearts and knows that we carry a weight of suffering in this world. And so this text can apply to us today. And I'm not a prophet, but I will say, there might come a time when you or your children or your children's children might undergo this type of persecution. It might not be too far off, and here's why this is so important, because when we learn to suffer well, it prepares us for a weight of maybe a greater suffering ahead. Can I just be honest right now? We're talking about suffering, and listen, I know, this is a hard topic because there is many sufferings as there are people in the world because our stories are all different. 
and different things happen to us. We have different chemistries and different family makeups and different things that we carry. And so I understand that, but what we need to know right now is that small annoyances or inconveniences are not suffering. I'm preaching to my own heart this morning because this week, just this week, thank you Jesus for preparing me to speak these words out of my mouth. My car wouldn't start multiple times. My pool turned green. I mean, I've had times where our air conditioner has gone out and then right back to back, something else goes out, our hot water heater, I don't know, and we're just forking out money left and right. I know and I understand that we have frustration after frustration after frustration, but this is not suffering. Maybe your kids are making you want to pull your hair out. Maybe you broke your legs, so now I gotta go to physical therapy. And like, when do I have the time to do that? I got stuck behind a slow person in the drive-through. My plane got canceled or delayed. This sucks. These are not sufferings. But what I will say is, even in these small annoyances and inconveniences, I think that Jesus wants to produce in us a building and a shaping of our view of suffering so that we might have a temperance for a greater suffering that is ahead. Because even in the small things, we're still building and shaping our view of suffering. And that doesn't mean, please hear me say, that doesn't mean that we just have to put a smile on. Yeah, I'm great, my dog died last week. I'm not saying that. But what I think that Peter's getting at is that there's this undercurrent of joy that can still come out of our darkest places. And so, please also hear me say that going through emotions in the middle of suffering does not diminish, okay? We can still go through hard things and still have emotions, and in fact, it's very healthy to deal with the emotions as they come. Grief and hard times, we have to process those emotions. And so I'm not saying you need to put those aside and just grin and bear it. And I don't think that is what Peter is saying either, because we see in verse 14 that it says, if you're ridiculed for the name of Christ, you're blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Something about that verse just gives me a lot of peace. But I'm like, Spirit of God resting on me. What does that mean? Am I gonna have a cloud sit on me? No. The Spirit of God that he's talking about right here is a byproduct of our suffering. It doesn't mean that we only get the Spirit of God if we go through suffering, but it is, in, in fact, a byproduct of our suffering. I'm talking about the kind, have you ever been in a situation where you lost a loved one, and even though tears are your food day and night, there is still something inside of you that has a peace and that is keeping you afloat. That's the spirit of God resting on you. Have you ever gone through abuse or a divorce or something just so wicked and warped and weird in that you should be angry and mad, but something inside of you is conjuring up forgiveness? That's the Spirit of God resting on you. Have you ever wanted to explode in anger about something bad that's happening to you, but something puts a cap on it and you keep your cool and you have self-control? That is the Spirit of God resting on you, and it's a byproduct of our suffering if we let him utilize our suffering. And when we're talking about the Spirit of God, I need us to know that when we collide with the Word of God, there should be a transformation. 
Now, it took me many years in my life to understand that when I read God's word, there will be a transformation inside of me. And what I learned later was that there's also not only a personal implication that's coming from the scripture, but a public implication that's coming from the scripture. The personal implication of this, of the spirit of God resting on you, is that suffering will transform you. It will transform you and turn things inside out, upside down. And it can be good or bad, it's your choice. But the public implication to this and the spirit of God resting on you is that people will know that you've gone through a transformation because your transformation will change others around you. Whatever's happening inside you is gonna come out and people are gonna notice and they're gonna see that spirit of God resting on you and think, what is it that she has? What is it that he has? Have you ever watched someone go through a really hard time in their life and thought, man, I don't know how they're doing it. I say that to myself all the time as I, walk, as I see people walk through suffering and trials. How are they getting through this? And I know, I know, I'm like, they have Jesus. But I think that I ask, I wanna, I wanna be like that. You ever think that? I, I want that kind of faith. And I think, so many of us are just standing here and we're like, I want that. I don't know how to get there. I have a story. It's an allegory. I don't know if you've ever heard an allegory, but an allegory is simply just a story that has like a very like surface characters that have a really deep and rich meaning. And the main character in the story, her name is Much Afraid. And she lives in a village and Much Afraid is lame. Her legs don't work, she has crutches, but she still manages to go about and do her you know, jobs and chores and everything, but every once in a while, she catches herself kind of gazing up at this mountain over there. I mean, she lives in a valley, and she just looks out there and thinks, I wanna be there. I wanna go there. It just seems so nice. I mean, like the grass is greener on the other side, right? I wanna be up there. It looks like there's waterfalls. It's so green. Everybody up there looks so happy, and as she's daydreaming, Someone comes up to her and his name is the shepherd. He said, what are you looking at? She said, oh, I just wanna be up there. It just looks so great up there. He goes, I can take you. She's like, me? I don't think I can go up there. That's really far and obviously my legs don't work well. I don't think that's gonna be something that I can do. He goes, no, I go up there all the time, I'll take you. But I need to tell you, the journey might be a little bumpy and a little bit hard in places. She said, okay. So they start on their journey and they go through desert and they go through forest and everything and then they come up to this cliff and he says, all right, I have to go, but if you ever need me, just call up my name and I'll be there. And she was like, you're leaving me? I don't know, he said, the, the way down is this way. She goes, okay, I think you're confused. The way down, I wanna go up. And he's like, well, to get there, you have to go down here. I don't know if I can do that. And he said, I need to go, but if you call out to me, I'll be here, and I've given you two guides. They're my strongest and best guides, and their names are sorrow and suffering. Just hold their hand. If you ever need them on this journey, reach out your hand and hold it, and you'll be fine. And so they go down in the valley. I don't know if you remember, but a few weeks ago, Pastor Russ talked about valleys and about how the weird thing is a lot of fruit is produced in the valley. We think that the mountaintop is where we wanna be, 
But guys, in our spiritual walks, that fruit that we develop from being down in the valley is immeasurable. And I thought that was interesting because I think that God uses nature to kind of mimic some of his truths and principles. Have you ever noticed that? I'm talking about like salmon. I mean, we're talking about upstream, right? Salmon have this mechanism in their brain where they are wired to go upstream as hard as it is day after day after day because they know that is where they need to go. And when they get there, they reproduce and then they die. It's as if they know there's a process in what they're supposed to do to get from here to there. Another thing is like olives, grapes, they produce olive oil and wine. But to get to those stages, they've gotta be crushed. And in our lives, is it not that way that when we undergo some of the crushing, the most hard times in our lives, they produce some of the most beautiful things? I mean, nature has this way of mimicking God and his promises. I mean, I even think of plants. I don't know if you're a gardener, but have you ever noticed how plants kind of lean towards the sun? We even have to stake trees in the ground, right, so they'll grow straight up. It's as if the plant knows that there's a process to get the nutrients that they need from the sun in order to undergo something inside of them that makes them grow the same is true in our life. There's a process, and part of the process and suffering is acceptance. So many times we numb and we run because we don't want to accept the state in which we're in, in our situation. Goes back to the realist, accepting a situation as it is. Part of the process of suffering is acceptance. But something happens when we accept suffering and allow it to change us, and that is the next verse. In, in, in verse 15 it says, let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. I thought it was interesting. The book of 1 Peter was written in Greek, but I did a little digging, and I wanted to look up what one of these words was in Hebrew, because... Peter was talking to Hebrews too. And when you translate the word glory in Hebrew, it means weight. So I took that word and I plugged it back in this verse. Here's what it would read. But if any of you suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him carry the weight in having that name. I need us to remember who wrote this. Peter. The guy who denied Jesus three times. And he's saying here, don't be ashamed for carrying the name of Jesus. There had to be a, an identity change to be pinning these words. Because he's saying, I carried the weight of shame. I know it's heavy. He said, when I... When Jesus was resurrected and he was waiting on the beach for me, breakfast for him and me, it was all that I could do just to walk over there heavy-handed because I had denied him three times. And listen, I know that our suffering and pain is heavy. I'm fully aware of that. It's so heavy. I don't know, maybe you're carrying the weight of infertility. Maybe you're carrying the weight of death of a loved one. 
Maybe you're carrying the weight of a loved one with an addiction, or maybe you yourself, and you're saying, Jessica, it took everything in me to open up my eyelids this morning because I'd rather sleep than deal with today. And I know some of the weight that you're carrying with the situations that you're going through, it was hard to step into this place and lift up your hands and worship because what you carry is so heavy. I understand. And all I can say is I'm sorry. I can't explain why God lets us go through some of the things that we go through, but I think that we can find encouragement in the book of 2 Corinthians. And in 4.17, he says, for our light and momentary troubles, please, God, what I'm carrying is anything but light. He sees you. He knows that. But he's saying, I want you to see this, child that what you're carrying right now is nothing compared to the glory that I have coming to you. I need you to hear that today. I'm preaching it to myself today that the, care, the things that you're carrying and the burdens and the weight that you're carrying on the eternal scales of glory are far outweighed by what is coming. There is a promise to us wrapped in the process of pain. Peter wrote this 30-something years after he denied Jesus. I think that he wants us to see that even though we carry a weight, it is nothing compared to the weight that is coming because he knew that we had a chief example, and that was in Jesus, who suffered a gruesome death, but at his death came life. You cannot have a resurrection without a death. And I think that our friend Much Afraid found this out as well. Because she got to the end of her rope on her journey and she called out to the shepherd and she said, I'm done. I can't do this. I'm going the wrong direction. I'm go I wanna go up there. I am right here. I've tripped and fell. I've scraped my knees. I quit. I don't wanna do this anymore. <sighs> I feel like a jellyfish what she said and the shepherd laughed and he said do you believe that I can turn jellyfish legs into goat, mountain goat legs I know that you can I believe that you can do that I've seen you do much more than that and he said will you let me and I think the same invitation is here for you and me today will you let me because I need us to see that, that something like this and believing and letting, there's a difference. There's, there's a difference between believing and trusting and there's a difference between believing and surrendering because we can be fully aware that, yeah, Jesus died for my sins and they're taken away, but the letting him is the transforming part. That's where the fruit comes. That's where the glory comes, is when we let him. I was encountering this truth to me like right between my eyes a couple of years ago as I read this exact allegory. A lot of you know that we moved, my family and I moved from Texas about eight years ago. And um, when we moved, we knew beyond the shadow of a doubt this is our next step for our family. That didn't make it any easier because what I was leaving behind was so weighty to me. 
I thought that I was gonna have these friends for the rest of my life. I thought that my parents and Trey's parents were gonna watch our kids grow up and be at all their sporting events and everything. I thought that this was the church that I wanted to raise my kids in. I thought this was, this was what I wanted to do and where I wanted to be. And God was calling us in the other direction. And I was scrolling through pictures on my phone the other day and videos and I realized I came across videos that I never knew I had. Never knew I had in eight years. And they were videos that my sister-in-law took on my phone of us closing up the U-Haul at 11 p.m. the night before we were gonna leave. And Trey and I walk around to all of our closest friends and family and we say our goodbyes. And I just wring their necks and I'm sobbing for minutes and minutes. And I was watching these videos and there was tears coming to my eyes because I need to tell you that was a death for me. That when I said goodbye, I said goodbye to what I thought was life. And as we drove, I never thought that I would find life because I was so sad of what I was leaving. And thank goodness I had Jesus. And I don't say that in a sense of like, yep, I got Jesus as a friend. No, he was my sustenance. Because every time I put someone back on the plane to go back to Texas was another death for me, another goodbye, another reoccurrence of something that was hard and painful. But I need to also say that in Jesus's death brought me life. And I'm not talking about a great life that I'm happy. I'm talking about my sins were forgiven, but also in his death, I have life in him. And I've been experiencing it to the full, what, what scripture says. Our deaths bring resurrection because we have a chief example of Jesus who went through sufferings himself and came on on the other side with life. And I need to tell you today that in the things that you're dealing with, the weight that you're carrying, there is life on the other side. Sometimes we just need someone to say those words to us. In your death, there is life. And I need to proclaim over all of you today, in your death, in your sufferings, in your pain, there is life. There is life in Jesus and he's bringing it to you today. Will you let him? You know, the process was a lot of pain and I eventually got there and, and I'm still going through, some, I'm still seeing some of the, the residue of the death and the life coming to light. Because today I stand here and I mean, what more could any parent want than your kid reintegrating into social life and having a great friend group, a church where they're learning about Jesus um, they love our house. They just love life. Don't, doesn't every parent want their kid to live like that? That's life for me. That's life that I've seen come out of it. I actually was really afraid of transporting our family and like reintegrating them into finding new friends and everything. And guess what? God took care of that. Also, my husband, I think he's a brilliant mind and a talented artist and he's so creative and he gets to do all of that packaged into one as a job. That's life. And me? I am standing in the glory that was promised in the pain right now. 
in getting to speak God's truth to you. That's glory that came out of the pain. With Inspired, getting to see women connect in community and grow deep roots in their faith, that is the glory that came from some of the pain. And right now, finding my identity, my true identity in Christ came from that pain, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. And I want you to see today the same is there for you. But the question is, will you let him? And the invitation is for all of us here today because Philippians says this, if you wanna know Christ, share in his sufferings. We have opportunity after opportunity after opportunity because we live in this world to share in Christ's sufferings. Would you just stand to your feet as we close today? I wanna read the invitation that is actually here for us. And that's found in verse 19. This is how he signs off the chapter. I love this, he says, so then, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. The two things that stand out to me is entrust themselves and faithful creator. Because listen, you're not just giving your suffering to anybody. To be honest, people probably can't handle your suffering near what, you, what can be handled by a big and mighty and awesome God. And he's saying, entrust yourself to me because I'll take care of it. I will take care of you because I created you. I know all the ins and outs of you. I know you forwards and backwards. I knitted you in your mother's womb. I know you, trust me. But he's not gonna force us. We have to ask him to do it. We have to let him. Will you trust God with your pain, big or small? Because like I said earlier, it's shaping and, and forming our view and temperance of suffering at some point. So the question is, will you let him? Maybe this week, maybe an action step is, a lot of times when suffering comes to us, we ask, why me? Why, why do I have to deal with this? Can I encourage you this week, and I'm doing this myself, instead of asking why, ask what. Change the word from why to what. Say, instead of why God, say, what God? What would you have me learn? What would you have happen in me to where I can experience your goodness? And listen, pain will always be ahead because I know I said I'm standing in the middle of the glory, but I know there's more pain ahead. And guess what? I'm ready for it because I've witnessed his goodness wrapped all throughout and inside the suffering and the pain that we experience. And the same is true for you today. I've witnessed it. We sang about it earlier. So would you just put your hands out like this if you're comfortable? I love putting my hands out like this just because it shows a sign of surrender. And I wanna pray for us today. God, if we're not there yet, would you bring us to a place where we can say, I entrust you with my pain to a faithful creator? If we're not able to utter those words, I pray that you would 
do whatever transforming work that you need to do in our life to get us there. Because God, I know for me and each person in here is, who has witnessed pain has also witnessed your goodness. Why would we not want to share you with others? And so God, it's an invitation into my life. Maybe you might say, God, I'm, I'm entrusting you with my pain. I'm letting you do what you wanna do with my pain. I know that's a hard prayer to utter, but God, I know you meet us where we're at because you step in to our pain and you meet us exactly where we need to be. So God, we're calling on you as a faithful creator that you would do the creating work that you need to do inside of us in order that we may experience your goodness and your freedom. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to this message. I hope that it encouraged you and inspired your faith. If God is doing something in your life, would you take a moment and let us know? We wanna connect with you and we wanna be able to pray for you. All you have to do is shoot us an email to hello at the x.church or you can always send us a DM on one of our social media platforms. And if you know somebody that would also be encouraged by this very message, why not take a moment and just share it with them right now? And as always, I wanna say thank you to every single person who so generously financially supports this ministry so we can continue to get messages like these out to people all over the world. We believe God is building something special and you're a significant part of it. Until next time, have a great day.